You're listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert, and this is a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join me every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. This is part two of our conversation with Matthew Wallace, CEO of DXM. The episode is co-hosted by Gauri Sharma, Senior Manager for Organizational Development at Shahi Exports, one of India's largest apparel manufacturers. She's also co-founder of SUS, a rapidly growing community of students, entrepreneurs, professionals, and consumers in India, driving meaningful change in the fashion industry. In case you missed part one, a quick recap. In addition to her work with SUS and Shahi Exports, Gori also recently completed a Master's in Sustainability Leadership at the University of Cambridge. Her research there was focused on supply chain partnerships and their role in the transition to a circular economy. Her research, as well as her role within Shahi, uniquely position her to interview Matthew. Which brings me to DXM. DXM is a lot of different things, and I've been trying to get someone on the show to talk about it since I first heard about it sometime last year. Because, as regular listeners will know, one of my favorite topics has to do with the distribution of financial risk across fashion supply chains. So what could be more up my alley than talking to the CEO of a company that's co-owned by brands, suppliers, and beyond? But the simplest way to introduce DXM would be to say that they're a manufacturing company that does local on-demand production. But really, there's so much more than that. As Matthew would say, they're a whole ecosystem. And as I've already alluded to, there are several founding partners. Four suppliers, Shahi Exports, Brandex, Mass Holdings, and Busana, and one brand, Carhartt. But I'll let Matthew tell you more about that. In part one, we covered Matthew's family history in the world of fashion and how that's led to what he's doing now. We also talked about what exactly DXM does and what the impetus for its founding was. In this episode, we get into more detail about why the partners are who they are, what the process for bringing such massive competitors together was actually like, what the fashion industry can learn from other industries, and what the social and environmental implications of the DXM model might be. One last quick announcement. If you're a manufacturer, I have got an exclusive event open only to manufacturers that you won't want to miss. It's a supplier meetup hosted by the Asia Garment Hub, and we'll be joined by Miran Ali, Star Network spokesperson, and I will be there as well. The conversation will be unrecorded, informal, and all about the Sustainable Terms of Trade Initiative. The Sustainable Terms of Trade Initiative is the supplier-led call for minimum standards on purchasing practices led by the Star Network, the International Apparel Federation, the Better Buying Institute, and supported by GIZ Fabric. The event is virtual and takes place on Monday, 8 November at 8 a.m. CET, 1 p.m. Dhaka time, 2 p.m. Phnom Penh time, and 3 p.m. Hong Kong time. Miran will share a couple of updates and the rest of the session will be open to Q&A. Check out the link in the show notes for more information. This podcast is a passion project and a labor of love. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast or sign up for the bi-weekly newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off-the-beaten-path reading. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can make a Patreon donation at www.manufacturedpodcast.com.
Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that. Corey, over to you. It would just be good, you know, for the audience to understand who are these six partners um, and what was the process like to kind of bring some of these partners together who are actually competitors. Um, you know, what challenges did you face? What were the barriers? And what kind of, what did they feel were the benefits of coming together and why did they agree to do this? Let's start with the who. Um, uh, D- DXM, uh, I have co- five co-founders with me in uh, at DXM right now. And we have, uh, we actually have six outside investors um, Five of them are those co-founders. So one of them is uh, Shahi. Shahi is the largest privately held apparel organization in India. Uh, and uh, they, uh, they have, I believe, a, a bit over 110,000 employees and operate in over 25 facilities across, uh, across the region. And I believe are one of the largest employers in the apparel industry, if not the largest uh, in India. It's actually... 50, 50 plus factories. There you go. Thank you for clarifying that. Uh, one of the others is um, an organization called the Busana Group. And they, are the, they are based out of Indonesia. They're the largest woven manufacturer, I believe, uh, of apparel, uh, certainly shirts out of Indonesia. And they have facilities in multiple locations. Uh, they're also in Ethiopia, uh, in, in an industrial park there, I believe. They also have a partnership over on the other side of the pond, um, with uh, some other organizations uh, that they're wor- they were working on in the Dominican and Haiti, uh, if you will. Uh, the, the third one is an organization called Brandex. Brandex is a Sri Lankan-based um, manufacturer. And they have uh, facilities in multiple locations across the, the world, uh, in, in both hemispheres, uh, if you will, south- around Southeast Asia, uh, if you will. And then uh, the fourth one is MAS, MAS is also a Sri Lankan-based organization who also has facilities across the world. Uh, and I think one of the important things um, to, to name is between those four partners, co-founders, believe they operate in approximately 13 countries. They employ over 300,000 employees and have over 120 factories between them. They are truly the leaders in their space, in their categories, Right. The four of them would, would, be, would be tough to argue with that they're not four of the top 10 manufacturers in the apparel industry, period. And they manufacture for organizations um, and brands and retailers. Between the four of them, they pretty much cover the gamut from the sports and activewear industry, right, to the more formal industry, to casual bottoms, to T-shirts, the polos, um, to outerwear, uh, etc. They really intimate wear. They cover the, the, the spectrum. Um, but one of the things, Gloria, that you said is, is how did you get them to come together? And some of them are competitors. Um, some of them are absolute um, competitors. Uh, MAS and Brandex are a great example. And credit goes to um, their leadership. Uh, credit goes to the organization underneath their leadership who saw the vision and understood it. And I think uh, it's simple for organizations that have the right mindset and are willing and able, right, to take some risk. And that 
You asked what it was that got them there. Mindset, willingness and ability to go try and learn, right? But they had the mindset to say, despite that we are daily competitors and cross in a lot of the same categories, compete with the same customers, for the betterment of the industry, right? We feel um, we need to be a part of this. And there were organizations who were there in October 2018 that are not part of it, right? And some of that is, is they chose not to be at the time. Some of it is they just hit too much on their plate. And some of it is, is it actually wasn't a right fit for DXM, right? So actually, it was all three things. It wasn't just a, a one thing. And you talked about values and principles, right? I think actually all the organizations that we talked with and met with had similar values and principles, despite coming from different cultural backgrounds, right? Um, but those four, right, essentially were the ones that I'd say were most certainly willing uh, and able and had the right mindset. Again, I think others did uh, have some of those qualities. It just wasn't the right timing for them. Because like I said, there were three, four other organizations involved on the manufacturing side. Um, and we're open to, you know, bringing more into the fold if, if it benefits, right, um, DXM and benefits uh, the organization. But those are the four co-founders with me. So it, it's a pretty broad spectrum, which allows, by the way, DXM with that network of partners to leverage that where needed, leverage the knowledge, leverage the engineers, right? Leverage the manufacturing, leverage, you talked a little bit about fabric. If I'm not mistaken, several of those manufacturers own their own mills. They actually own their own cotton farms, right? Uh, in some cases, Shahi being one of those, right? Uh, some of them has transformed, if you will. Um, so we, as an organization at TXN, get to utilize all of that knowledge, all of the depth of, of that um, plethora of information is only a phone call, email, video conference away at this point. Um, so I'd like to name, that's the manufacturers, right? I'd like to name the fifth person that, that's involved. So um, that's a brand named Carhartt, right? So Carhartt is uh, a brand that's about 140 years old. It's fifth generation family owned. Um, fourth and fifth generation is in the business right now um, at this point. And I remember meeting with Carhartt uh, in Detroit, Michigan, and I was told before I got to the meeting, might be a little bit, you know, on, on the slower side of progressing in the conversation and whatnot. We didn't, we left before we left breakfast. Uh, and I was there with, with uh, their chairman and their president and their, their senior vice president of strategy and, and whatnot. Uh, and they basically said, you're not going to go do something in this industry like this in Detroit without us. So no, it wasn't slow. It was one breakfast for an hour and 15 minutes. And I'm not saying anything got signed then or, or whatnot. It didn't. Um, but look, uh, they were in from the beginning. And it's great to have an organization, uh, again, so family-run family organization with roots still manufacturing in the U.S. and Kentucky and Tennessee. Carhartt still makes product today in both with loyal customers, um, they've really grown and become more of a fashion brand along with their workwear um, 
um, roots, if you will, and they've been a terrific supporter of us. So those five organizations all own an equal part through common stock, right, of DXM. And they form the board of directors as well of DXM. They do. So each of them has a member on the board of directors um, and the skill sets that each of them have are so diverse. Um, it just makes it so well-rounded. And you say, well, that's the purpose of a board. You want a diverse, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, but in a startup, to have a diverse board like this with, with such experience and advice is invaluable. I find this super interesting because I did a piece of research on, you know, what is preventing collaboration in the fashion industry towards circular economy. And of course, on-demand manufacturing, customization plays a huge role in the shift towards circularity as we try to reduce waste and overproduction, um, like you were mentioning earlier. And what I found in my research was, of course, everything that you mentioned about the fact that these organizations, whether it be suppliers or brands, need to have strong leadership, the right values, a focus on sustainability. All of these characteristics are essential for collaboration. But what is currently preventing collaboration is just the inherent power dynamics in the industry between brands and suppliers, where suppliers don't feel like there's an incentive in going above and beyond, in making these types of investments, in taking on these types of risks that they don't feel valued. They don't feel like brands commit to the long term um, and, you know, uh, constantly fighting them on prices. So were there any such issues that you faced or were there any such challenges that you faced uh, where you felt that, you know, or, or how did you how did you create that incentive for all the suppliers to come on board Um beyond just the, you know, the attributes they already had and inclination they already had. I, I don't think there was magic there, right, to be quite frank with you. When I want to address something you said, I, I wholeheartedly agree with what you said, right? It, this is a transactional industry as, as a most part. It just is, right? And really, it depends almost on who's leading an organization, right? You go from ditch to ditch, if you will, um, it's a term that I learned back when I had worked actually at Walmart and, you know, it, it's, we're better than you, right? I'm the customer and, and I can dictate the terms and I'm going to do this and you're going to do that for me because I'm paying you and giving you the order, right? It, it, it really, um, and, and I, I don't, wouldn't say everybody behaves like that, but I'd say as a whole, it has been a very transactional uh, industry. And I think companies are trying to, with certain organizations throughout the chain, change that dynamic. I think it's been very, very difficult because the industry essentially has chased price across regions, right? And, and, and landed in Africa many years ago, but, but said, okay, that's my next frontier. And then it was India and Bangladesh, and it was China in the 90s, right? And then it was Southeast Asia. So look, I, I'd say as a whole, you're right. Um, and that dynamic has to shift in order to, to make the difference. And if it doesn't shift, you, you, can't, you can't get to where you need to. And you, you say, what, 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 how do we convince? How do we... The thing with these five organizations, right, is they want to get there. They see it. They understand it. And a lot of them, right, if not all of them, have in one way or another, right, benefited by a less transactional, more strategic relationship, right? I think that's important. Um, and, and look, I, I, 
I do think that trust had a lot to do with this. And, and, and this is not something that I take personally very lightly. I believe wholeheartedly that across the last 10 years, um, that in any transaction I was involved with these organizations, and I wasn't involved, obviously, in transactions with Carhartt during those years, um, but certainly have, have grown and developed a very strong, trustworthy relationship with them and, and, um, and can't say enough about you know, their organization and, and how they operate. But on the supplier side, if you will, using that word, uh, supplier purposely here, um, I believe that I earned trust with each of the four of those organizations um, from my previous dealings with them. And I think if you do what you said you're going to do, no matter if that is good, bad, or indifferent, and you do it with positive intent, and that, I believe, goes a really long way. And you may say, well, just that. I'm like, yeah, you then start to build trust that this person, these people, this organization, right, is going to do what they said they're going to do, even if it sometimes hurts them, um, because that's what it was. And I think I earned that over the course of my dealings with those four organizations. And I believe that, I, I, I hope to think, I think that may have something to do with um, part of the decision. I don't think it was all of it, but I certainly think, because uh, I think most of it was motivated by themselves about what they felt they need it, yeah. they could do it, they could help shift the industry. But I think that was a part of it. And I believe that's word is, is just in any relationship. It's a sibling yeah. relationship, a parent-child relationship, right? Um, a work relationship. Without the foundation of trust, you just have nothing. Yeah, and I think this, this is exactly what I also did find, that trust is the magic sauce, and that's kind of what's basically missing in current relationships between different parts of the supply chain. And if we can rebuild that somehow, we could forge brilliant partnerships for, you know, the future of the industry. So thank you for sharing that. And, you know, it's it's nice to see how that is the answer to how DXM kind of came together. Of course, all the technology went partners aside. Well, you know, it's interesting. We've talked about that founding piece, Um we haven't talked about the technology piece at all. And I kind of said at the onset, data, this and that. I, I do want to make sure to mention um, we have a sixth investor um, in the organization. Uh, and that's a company called Plug and Play. And Plug and Play is the largest incubator and accelerator of startups in the world. They're based in Silicon Valley. They are the most active, at least I believe last year, the few, previous two years, active investor in Silicon Valley. I believe they've invested close to 250 companies uh, over the course of, or 500 companies over the course of the last two years. And they were able to bring a startup ecosystem to our platform, right? So they were able to help show all these technology companies to us, right? Instead of having to go build and create your own, which is very difficult to do, right? I was actually taken into essentially a bowling alley and I just... Oh, here are the eight people in the lanes of 3D. They're all sitting in their own lane. Here are the ML and the, here are the AI people. Here are the, right? And I was like, wow, there's, there's a hundred lanes here. And let me just go meet with all of them. And we have great technology partners in the ecosystem as part of the organization too. You know, I, I know I kept using that word. There are 21 organizations on our website. 
today, right? That deem part of our ecosystem. They all gave us permission to use their name as part of that. Whether they're 3D knitters or digital printers, right? Or whether they're, they're, they're great uh, on, on software and manufacturing, if you will, or they're great technology companies or their universities, uh, along with our six um, investors and five co-founders on there, right? And you talk, Gory, about, you know, the supply chain and, and breaking it down and, and treating it right. Well, if you have all pieces of it within the organization, it makes it easier to bring it all together, right? If you have the, the cotton farm and the mill as part of your partnerships and you have the technology companies in the, eco, in the ecosystem, if you have the advanced manufacturing, right? And look, no, we're not making 3 million pieces or 3,000 pieces, but it's a start. One of the things that's very striking about DXM, you know, you said each partner has an equal financial stake in the in the entity and that in and of itself is like codependence right it's sort of partnership in this in the sort of strictest sense of the word you know shared losses and shared profits so brand and manufacturers own equal part in this model right so and Gory, you talked before about the inequality that seems to continue to play in and, uh, right, that, oh, I'm above this. And it's a, it's a you know, downward spiral. I don't feel like that's the, the case at all. And it, look, I, do I think the ownership has something to do with it? Yeah, but I really think it's the mindset of the, of the five organizations that is really driving it. It's really not the percentages and the numbers and the dollars. It really isn't. So credit goes to those five organizations. I'd like to switch hats to speak on behalf of Shahi and just say that, Matthew, you're totally right about mindset and intention. That was the motivation for us as a company as well. From Shahi's perspective, this was an investment into a moonshot idea, if you will. You know, an idea of on-demand, customized, and local manufacturing. All our manufacturing is currently the low and slow model, that is the low price and slow lead time model. And we'd been thinking about US manufacturing for a while, and then DXM came along. Most of our customers are based out of the US, and they are keen for their manufacturing partners to work with them and create new ways of manufacturing. And as COVID disrupted supply chains, we saw even more value in what DXM stands for and aims to achieve. I want to shift gears a little bit because something that's come up several times already, and I've promised we were going to get to it, is that, you know, the fashion industry tends to think it's so different to other industries. Um, and that your take on that is that that really isn't the case. And I want to give you the chance to elaborate a little bit on that and and how you've engaged with these other industries before we before I hand back over to, to Gori and we sort of close with some larger thoughts on, on impacts of the DXM model over the long term. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Hmm, I need to buy a car. Hmm, I'm the consumer. What kind of car do I want? What color? What brand? I need to buy a pair of shoes or a shirt. Hmm, what color? What brand? Where does it come from? Oh, the metal comes from the ground. Oh, the cotton comes from the ground. Tell me how different that is so far, right? Okay, okay. Well, it comes from the ground and it's all the way over here and I'm going to make it over here and I need people to help me and there's some machines I have to buy to go do it. And First, I have to get the raw materials and then I need to get a spec sheet and figure out how to assemble it. And then I need to make sure the safety works and there's no choking hazards on my 
my shoelaces or my clothes. And, oh, I need to make sure the airbag works and the safety on the car, if you will. Um, and then I got to manufacturing. And then I need to uh, give the consumer uh, what it is that they want option-wise. Oh, okay. So I, I don't want a button down, but I want a regular collar. I need different color buttons. I want to make this longer or shorter, right? I just don't see the difference. You're, a product is going to a consumer and the company, the brand, the manufacturer has to figure out a way to get it to them when they want it, how they want it. The raw materials come from the ground, essentially. The product needs to be manufactured with people and equipment. It's different equipment. It might be a different skill set of people at this point, right? But I believe India started making garments before they started making cars. So pretty sure, right? So, and that happens in most places. I believe China, China was making garments before they made clothes. I'm pretty sure the United States was making garments before Henry Ford started making gar uh, uh, cars, <laughs> right? So I think I'd said that the opposite way. Um, but look, and what happened was Henry Ford came up with an idea as to how to make a car, the assembly line, right? Well, the evolution of the assembly line has now moved into you can go on Mini Cooper or Ford or, or any other brand. You go on minicooper.com. You, you can go on customize. You can go build your, your own car today, your own Ford, your own Audi. You can do that in India. You can do it with a Chinese brand, right? And they'll deliver the car to you in a period of time. And I think that what we believe, right, is so different, it just hasn't evolved a lot. You know, <laughs> I was, I was in, in, in a startup of a factory in, in the continent of Africa about four years ago and the same brand sewing machine and some of the same exact sewing machines, right, were being put in the factory that my grandfather had in, the, in his factories, right? Same ones. So while you'd say, okay, the auto industry still has the same stamping machines and whatnot, you're probably right, okay? But that industry took from where it was at in, in that assembly line, and it has completely evolved to Industrial Revolution 4.0 in its principles. It is now moving to mobility. It understands that it wants to be able to give the consumer right what they want, when they want, how they want it from a mobile standpoint, connected standpoint, right? Health, potentially health standpoint. Yep, while you're in your car, monitoring your health, right? They just have completely moved in to that space, and they did it through required collaboration throughout the supply chain. And uh, some of the best new technology in cars has actually come from this ecosystem, come from startups, literally come from startups, where these car companies are now buying or investing in the startups because they're now driving their technology in their car. Well, that would have been siloed in the past, right? And, Gory, you brought up about competitors right? Well, Mercedes and BMW, arch competitors in the same space, luxury car market, same, same founding country are working together, right? On different projects right now. Why? Because in order to accomplish their goals, they're better off together than they are individually trying to go at it alone. And they just put aside their differences, not for selling a BMW or a Mercedes competition, but for that goal of helping shift the industry to be more consumer centric, right? They've shifted it, whether it's autonomous or mobility. Uh, 
And if those two companies can come together and you look at their history, I'm pretty sure that, that our industry can, can help make some shifts also. Um, so I think that's just really, really resonated with me when I, I learned a bit more about it and, and um, about the why. And it was all about evolution, right? And for them to continue to evolve, to perhaps deliver something revolutionary, they wouldn't be able to do it on their own. And they had to bring in technology, manufacturing, platforms, academia, and enemies, which became frenemies. I have read some research and case studies about how, you know, um, automobile manufacturing automobile companies have established strong partnerships with their manufacturers. They have, you know, it's like an equal partnership and they invest in these relationships over the long term. And that's kind of what's missing maybe in the apparel industry, which is why maybe we're not able to move to industry 4.0, as you said. So how do you think this current model that DXM is trying out about on-demand customization, personalization, how could that potentially change the dynamics between brands and suppliers for the better or for worse? Well, I think it goes a bit backwards to you have to get all parts of the supply chain that are able to be done today together in it, right? And I think that's part of what this is. And then what you have to do is um, you have to keep on the technology side to see right, how do we continue to develop, whether it's the raw material piece or, or the pieces and the components that we don't have, how do we invest mutually together? And that will be beneficial for all of us, right, in the future. And I think that, um, look, we're, we're on the, the, the very front end of DXM here, right? We're just starting. Uh, we're two years into this. With a year of the pandemic, certainly, you know, playing a major role in it, but we continued to forge forward. But I, I think it's, it's that balance of walking and chewing gum, right? Continue to walk forward with what we can do today, right? But keep chewing gum while you're doing it and keep looking at what's coming and what else needs to change. And again, continue to, to shoot for, right, the stars, the moon, whatever it is we want, right? But we need to keep walking forward. And as we see pieces say, okay, I'm going to start with that raw material because it's first. And then I'm going to, if I can digitally do this in yarn, how do I digitally do that then in, in, in raw material? And really it's, it's investing together. And as I said to you before, if this is just 5%, if 5% went on demand, 5% went to small batch, I'd love to know the statistic of what shift that would make, right, to the industry. 5% of everything. I'm not saying it should be 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, right? Maybe later it is as the generations continue to come in and, and the demand for what they want, when they want, how they want it shifts. Yeah. So, 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 so it could be future with this kind of model, even if it's 5% could be just like-minded partners across the industry, collaborating, co-investing, and just having a more long-term kind of partnership. Yeah. And, and I think that... <laughs> Look, you have to get support appropriately from the regions in which you're working in, right? If you're, if you're in Europe, if you're in Asia, if, if you're in North America, right? Whether it be local, state, right? There has to be some support there because you're going to create, right? Income, taxes, jobs, et cetera. And I think that's important too, uh, that again, government has to be part of this ecosystem. 
if you will. And, and I think that they have to see that too. And look, unfortunately or fortunately, some governments get pigeonholed to, to regions and say, okay, well, this is my tech sector or this is that. Okay, that's fine. But if we want to bring something back that actually um, should be brought back, it's, you know, right now it's the, the chip thing is all over the world, right? Everybody wants to, to stand up their, their chip facilities all over locally, right? And we know that takes years to do. Um, well, why not this industry? Oh, too labor intensive. It doesn't need to be if we come at it together, right? It just doesn't need to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the, the other kind of broader impact that I wanted to discuss was the impact on workers that you mentioned, labor. It is a labor intensive industry. So do you have any idea of what kind of impact this could have on just workers in general, whether it's, you know, would we shift from the low wage, high volume model? Um, would we be looking at, you know, less low skill jobs and more high skill jobs? What do you, what do you think could be the impact of this kind of model on workers? Yeah, I, th- I think it's the second thing you said. I think it's less, right, lower skilled jobs with opportunity as the technology continues to develop to upskill those those roles. I think it's more, right, higher skilled jobs with this technology, um, right, that that is is available out of Spain on the washing piece with companies like Genealogy and and Israel out of, you know, with digital printing with Cornet and things like that. I, I think you're upskilling right? And training people on Lectra and, and Gerber, right? A, a, equipment, if you will, and Shimisheki equipment. Yeah. Well, you're paying them more money, right? And part of that is, is you have no returns and no allowances on a customized or personalized co-created product, right? On a unit of one, you have, you don't have it unless there's a workmanship issue, but as a whole, you have no returns and you're able to drive a higher unit price and a higher AUR, average unit retail, well, then you could pay people more money for that. Um, and I think, look, people in the U.S. talk to me about res- uh, reshoring. There's no reshoring. This is new shoring, right? There's nothing re about what we're doing. You're not bringing back what you did before. It won't work. You have to do it differently. We believe that impact can happen. It won't happen unless the right people are involved in it as a group together and are willing to invest right? And see that through. Then we can get the wheel moving, the flywheel moving and get some momentum around this. Um, and other people will see it. And I believe it'll all be driven by the way, by one thing, the consumer goes all the way back to the very front of the conversation. They want sustainable. They want what they want, when they want it, how they want it, why they want it. And they want it fast. Yeah. And, and that kind of, I mean, when I think about the environmental impact of something like this, on the one hand, I'm like, wait, this is faster fashion. So it's even faster than we have right now. Uh, but it's potentially solving the current problem we have of overproduction, mass production, and you know, whatever you said about unsold inventories. Um, so, so, so what do you think the environmental impact of a model like this could, it, could be? Could it reduce uh, the current impact yes. that the industry has and how? Well, I, I think the concept with DXM and its, its uh, ecosystem and its co-founders is, look, if we're going to wash something, right, we're going to do it without omitting any water. We're going to use the latest equipment that, that is out there, right? And our ecosystem partner, Genealogy, has that right? Capability. It's expensive. 
That's why not everybody has it. Well, again, you, you can't go out as just an individual factory. And look, some, some, some could, right? All of, all of, because uh, they have the money to do so, the research. Not a lot of people can go out and go spend those millions of dollars on that versus, oh, I'm just going to put 100 people at it and pay them X amount of dollars. It's much better for me to do that. That's not what we're going to look to do. Or use single ply, you know, digital cutters. So you're wasting less material, right? So less water waste. Again, as I said, your digital printing, uh, smart sewing machines and training. So I think it has a massive impact as it catches fire and the wheel starts to turn. I really do, um, if you just think about this. But it's going to take resources. It's going to take resolve. Uh, it's going to take money. Um, and it's going to take uh, a mindset um, that I don't know exists across the industry at, you know, as a whole. I think it exists in different places. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast or sign up for the bi-weekly newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off-the-beaten-path reading. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can make a Patreon donation at www.manufacturedpodcast.com. Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that.